an apologist for what's absolutely wrong in this city. That is, you want to go outside right now? Let's go. I am sick and tired of being attacked by these people in this community apologizing for the racism that is going on in this community. You're the problem. Baby. We in here. Yeah, we in here. Been Y'all better get comfortable with saying black. We in here. Yeah, we in here. Black versus the Board of Education. Because we can That's why we are indeed a whole mood. That's it. See, I thought I was going to have to give out some instructions, but Tevin hit it right on time. Welcome to another Monday right here on Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen, and I am, of course, the captain of this ship. And as always, we like to go around the room, go around the room and let you know who's in the building. This episode is called We Gotta Unpack That, and we have a special guest with us, and we will get to him real quickly. Uh, but before we do that, let's go around the room, let them know who's here, and then we'll bring on our guests and we'll get the conversation started. So come on, Jalen. Say hey. Uh, my name is Jalen. I am an honorary Louisianian uh, once again. There we go. Um, you know, <laughs> Bruh. Uh, right. I just want to say shout out to all my grads. Uh, Woo, everybody graduating. Shout out to everybody. Yeah, and and uh, Anaya is not here because she you know? had her graduation earlier today. Yeah, shout out to Anaya. Shout out to her. Her. Shout out Look at that. We love it. Hey, Adrian, what's up? How's it going? My name's Adrian. I'm a college student out here in Sacramento. Uh, you know where I write. We belong. Shout out to Anaya, but I- <laughs> <laughs> we, got, said, we got beef out here. Got you know? my spy back. Hey, come on, baby girl, round us out. Hey y'all. Hey, my name is Jada. Uh, I am a no. <laughs> I am officially a senior graduate, guys, on high school graduate. <laughs> yeah. That's one, two, three, the best class. I don't care what nobody got to say. Um, yeah, and I'm glad to be back. I uh, look forward to this discussion. And so <laughs> this story that came to us, so Adrian, when we had a chance to kind of um, send out you guys, we gave you an assignment, yep. right? Yep. And you did some research and you brought us this story. Um, and I'm just like, how are you feeling? Because we're about to talk to the man in, in the center of it, it all. It's crazy because when I was doing the story, I was about to email him to come on the podcast. What? I beat but, you to it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he, I remember when you told me, he looked at me. He said, I was just about to do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you got to be quicker than that. <laughs> hey, he's here, though. As long as he's here. So you know? we are glad. And hey, Cortez, I see you in the chat. Hey, Miss Tawana. Uh, welcome to the uh, the discussion today. But can we bring up our special guest? Because I think that everybody got to gotta get a, a gander at this fella. Because that opening video, I mean, I'm ready to come and sit in your city council meetings myself. Uh, so can you go ahead and introduce yourself for the folks that may be watching and or listening um, so we can get the conversation started? Yes. Well, I'm uh, Lamar Thorpe proud mayor of the city of Antioch, one of the oldest cities in California. And, uh, and, uh, and so I'm the 41st mayor and I am the second African-American uh, to ever be the mayor, uh, the black mayor of the city of Antioch. So you said it's, it's the most diverse city and you don't only the second one. In the last 30 years, Antioch has, uh, has changed back in the 1990s. We were exclusively white. Now we are the second most diverse 
racially diverse city in, uh, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, wow. Well, welcome to the show. Um, we thank you for even accepting my invitation because, uh, you know, sometimes when things are going on around us and somebody reach out and say, hey, you want to come talk about it? Uh, you don't know what their motives are, but I, I, I assure you our motives are super genuine and we wanted to just kind of get into what it is that we're seeing. So apparently uh, there was an investigation done and the police department has some issues. Uh, 45 of them were caught up in a text messaging scandal um, that was racist uh, and it said homophobic in nature. Um, and as a mayor, uh, the second, the only the second black mayor, um, as a mayor leading this city, what were your initial thoughts uh, when this report dropped? Uh, I do want to clarify one thing. I think that there are, uh, there, there are, um, there are elected officials who will say I am an elected official who happens to be black. Uh, I just want to be very clear that I am a black mayor. Uh, <laughs> Come on now. There is no happens to be this and that. I'm judged by the color of my skin. This is how it works in America. And so I'm a black mayor. Uh, I'm not a I'm not an elected official who happens to be black. Come on, talk to him. And yeah, I so, like that. So uh, and so our first black mayor would say that he will he will say that he is he was an elected official who happened to be black. I am a black mayor. Um, the, uh, the investigation that you're referring to is in an, is an ongoing investigation by the FBI, mm -hmm. uh, one of the highest law enforcement agencies in our country out of the department of justice. And so they're looking into certain potential crimes or alleged crimes uh, by members of the Antioch police department. Um, it's in conjunction with our district attorney's office and within this investigation, uh, they happen to have stumbled upon a series of, of uh, text messages that were that a superior court judge in Contra Costa County would refer to as uh, as um, uh, that displayed racial animus. And so for those who may not understand what racial animus is, that's the very nice, polite, educated way of saying racism. Mm -hmm. And so this judge uh, said that uh, that that not only is this wrong, but she she made a historic step. This never happens. I just want to be very, very clear. This never happens where a superior court judge says, not only am I going to release the text messages that we've discovered here that contain racial animus, but also I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, release the names of all of the officers involved in these races. Oh, wow. This oh. never happens. This is historic. Uh, and so that's where we're at. That's how all this uh, came to light. And so I, when I heard first heard about these text messages, I thought maybe they'll release, they'll release versions of the text messages redacted. Uh, she didn't redact anything, and she released names. And so, uh, to my surprise, uh, we got a full load of uh, transparency. Oh my goodness! Yeah, wow. that's yeah. new. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so did y'all know that part? Of Absolutely. It? I no. I knew they released names. Okay, uh, I didn't know that. Wow, yeah. It was only like 10 of them, right? Not all of them. Did they release all the names? They released, I believe, all 16 names. 16. Oh, 16. oh okay. 16. And, then, and then this number that you use, is that 45 number, that's a number that the public defender has put out. 
Okay. Uh, so she has information that she's not allowed to disclose. So when she says 40, I don't know what she's, she's talking about. Uh, so, uh, but I know that mm -hmm. there, that the names that we released, uh, are people who actually engaged in the text messages. It doesn't necessarily include individuals who received the text messages, but maybe didn't say anything. Uh -huh. So that could include supervisors. It could include, uh, uh, rank and file members of the police department. So it's important to note that the this isn't even what I would call prime time yet, because we're not even at what the FBI is looking at, which is actual crimes. This is just this is something else uh, related to a larger issue uh, with the police department. Wow. Adrian said he had a question. So what you got? I actually have a few questions, but my first one would be after such a big incident sheds to light and messages are released, how are the police and the city officials expected to gain trust back in its uh, residents in Antioch? Or do you think that'll never happen? Uh, so I think, uh, you know, That's a toughie for, I mean, that's a tough question in yeah. determining, depending on who you are. Uh, I'm doing, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, which is I've called for all these officers to be fired immediately. I don't think we need to keep them here. I think it's, a, it's you know, the FBI has done the bulk of the work, so I don't know what we're waiting on. Um, in terms of the police department itself, I think, you know, people have to be outraged, people have to be upset, and they got to go through that process because that's part of part of the process of, of uh, being hurt. I mean, that's just what happens. And so then we have to go through a healing process and then and then the police department has to reconcile with the department. And how that looks like, I just, I don't know yet, but that's what's gonna have to happen. Uh, in terms of trust, I think historically here in this city, we've always seen people who are pro-law enforcement, but it's, it's not pro-law enforcement like normal people pro-law enforcement, meaning that, you know, I get, we need a police department and we need them to do their job. It's more of this uh, very uh, strange to me adoration of the police department, almost like your local high school football team. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's that's that. I don't think any department of a city should be larger than the than the city itself. Or it, it reminds me of the the Penn State scandal, where the police where the uh, football program got larger than Penn State. Excuse me, than Penn State, and then they could do no wrong. And yeah. so when wrongdoing happened, everybody was just shocked and turned the other way and just couldn't believe it. And so I just think it's not healthy. And so it'll be it'll be interesting how we all figure out how we reconcile with our police department. There have been people who have used phrases like, well, those are just those officers over there and we have a bad, few bad apples over here. Um, I don't say that. I just think we have systemic power, systemic racism within our police department and we need to eradicate it as quickly as possible. Uh, and so I'm not going to fool anybody or myself into thinking that these are just some individuals because nowhere would this type of would this type of um, would these text messages exist other than people feeling that, that feeling comfortable enough to say these things in such a public way because it was very public. It wasn't private. I mean, they were talking to each other. So it's mm -hmm. going to be interesting. And so when you said that, you know, you've called for these officers to be fired, whose call is that to make? Like if that'll be the chief of police is uh, that, that that's his responsibility. Who's his boss? The city manager is his boss. And, you know, the city council and myself, we hire and fire only the city attorney and the city manager. 
Okay. But we did change the reporting structure recently of the chief of police. So now in, in the near future, the chief of police will be, will be reporting directly to the, uh, to the city council and myself. And so when you, um, and I'm just trying to make sure I understand. So is the chief of police, is that an elected a position? And if not, no. if he chose, if he was to choose not to fire these officers, could he be let go? And then somebody who comes in, fire the rest of them, uh, the interim person, or how does that work? Uh, so those are all, you know, hypotheticals because we don't know if that's going to happen or not yet. So right. I want to get ahead of myself and, mm -hmm. and say that this chief I just want to know the structure. So the structure is, you know, the structure is the, the chief of police right now reports to the city manager and so it's not an elected position, correct? It is not an elected position. No chief okay. of police position is, a, is an elected other that's than sheriff. sheriff. Gotcha. Okay. And so. I mean, as you guys are listening to this, first of all, that opening video gave me life because a lot of times, um, well, actually, it didn't really give me life. It kind of pissed me off because everybody was trying to get you to temper yourself and to calm you down when people were being um, super disrespectful and challenging you. And it's like, you know, people can say what they want to say to you, but you're not supposed to respond. And so I, I see a lot of passion and a lot of emotion uh, because nobody is checking the people who are doing wrong. They want you to calm down and you to temper yourself. So in that moment, because I know that's a, a video that has been circulating and it's probably gone viral. Um, in that moment, can you kind of talk to us about what was happening for you in that moment? Well, you know, in terms of people trying to temper me down, that's, that's a, that's a hard task. <laughs> we can see. <laughs> Very hard task. Uh, and, and I, you know, I get it. You know, there are going to be people who are, uh, who in the moment may just be trying to, you know, in their minds thinking that they're, you know, calming things down. Uh, I think, you know, historically any, 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 any reaction by any particularly black male is always I'm going not. to be received, including by other black people is, can easily be construed as, angry can be easily aggressive. aggressive and all this stuff the reality is is i represent the most racially diverse city in the san francisco bay area this is a city that banned asian people for over 150 years uh this was one of the original sundown towns we we burned down chinatown uh, in the early uh, to in, in the late 1800s early 1900s we eradicated them from the city of Antioch. We had, you know, laws on the books that did that. Sacramento has the same history. Mm -hmm. So do other parts of, 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 uh, of California. And so, you know, we were one of, I was the first mayor to ever apologize to early Chinese immigrants, their descendants in the larger AAPI community for contributing to what we saw really during COVID when the increase of, uh, of uh, AAPI hate was taking root across the country because of Donald Trump. Uh, and so, you know, as the overseer of all this racial diversity, I find, you know, what you saw there wasn't me. That was the community who was outraged. That was a community standing up to racism. And I have never in my life ever seen anything remotely close to being pretty when you when you're fighting against racism. There are people in this country who had dogs used against them. There are people in this country who had water, fire hoses, not water, fire hoses used against them. There are people who were killed in this country just for the right to vote. And I can go on giving you examples. And so 
the idea that that standing up to racism is pretty work uh, is is foolish because it isn't. It's ugly. It's never going to be pretty. And then, of course, part of the strategy when you are when you're being anti when you're being anti-racist is that those on the other side uh, will start to personally attack you, your character and everything that you stand for. Well, that's because they have too many elected officials who are who just happen to be black and not enough black elected officials. Uh, Jalen. OK, my question for you is, how did you, where did you get your start into into the politics and why did you want to become a mayor? I was born in prison, so the politics started the moment I was born, probably even mm -hmm. before I was before I was conceived. So I was born in prison, raised in foster care, graduated high school. I couldn't read and write. And so uh, I met my biological family uh, back when I was in the Navy, uh, when I was stationed in Connecticut. And I, you know, I met my mother the same way she left me, and that was in prison at uh, at uh, Cambridge Springs Correctional Facility in uh, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. So my very existence is very political. Uh, the war on drugs is a real thing. It has real implications, and and I am a result of that. Uh, or my life story is 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 a. Uh oh, what happened? Did we freeze? No, we didn't freeze. Something went into the computer. Okay, so we're gonna wait for him to pop back in. Uh, we apologize for that. He was telling us a great that story. Um, I didn't know all of that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Um, I would have to say I, I'd agree with him when he was talking about how, you know, automatically when black people in general, but black men specifically, when they show any sign of emotion, it's as if, you know, oh, you're angry, you're upset and you need to calm down. But and, what if but when white angry yeah. and upset? <laughs> and that's valid. But when, you know, when white people do it, it's like, oh, my God, they're so passionate. Like, look at them. Like, they're just standing up. Like, it's like this thing that should be like applauded for. But for us, we need to calm down and. You know, I think that that's I think that that contributes to how why black men feel like they can't express any emotion or why we always have to feel like we have to be professional all the time because we can't get down to their level. We can't stoop down because we're going to get more criticized for it than they are. Mm. They being white people, etc. people who aren't black. And I think that's totally unfair to us. Mm. And and I see that Mayor Thorpe has popped back in. So welcome Change back. Locations. You <laughs> Sorry about that. I uh, I do all these interviews every day for the news, and uh, I hadn't. I forgot. I didn't charge the iPad. So oh, <laughs> okay. that'll do it. Well, here I am back in my kitchen. Well, Hi. well, you were telling us about uh, the your very existence is political. Uh, born in prison, raised in foster care. And then uh, the iPad made a sound. And so do you want to pick up where you left off? <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, I was just going to, that was, so uh, I have, I didn't choose politics. That's just the way life is. And so um, in life, you get choices as to what you want to do and what, how you're, how you're going to change things. My degrees are in women's studies with the specific uh, focus on uh, black women's incarceration. So for me, I had to, you know, kind of understand all this and, and puzzle this together as to why I had to meet my mom the way she left me. And that was in a prison. And so uh, so in every in every in every political engagement that I've participated in, it has centered around that. Wow. Jada, do you have a question that you'd like to ask? Um, I don't have any questions that come to mind right now, but please do come back to me. OK, Adrian. Yeah. Um, 
So when you were first, when you were running, your biggest thing was police reform, correct? Yes. So uh, I know one of your biggest opposers happened to be the police union and people who supported the police. So why do you think police in particular are so opposed to having any type of reform placed on them? You know, I, I honestly, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I will say that when I, before I was the mayor, I was a councilman and I put out a little, you know, op-ed that said, hey, maybe we should look at police reform and maybe we should form a committee. And the way people responded, not not that it's representative of everybody, but the way some people responded, you know, it felt like if those people had their way, they could have they would have found the the tallest tree in Antioch and hung me from it. That's what the reaction felt like. And I just didn't understand. I didn't understand why. But that's why I was talking earlier about this very weird adoration, groupie like mentality towards the police department. I've never really understood it. I don't know where that comes from. You know, I'm a I'm a veteran of the United States Navy, and I, I find that weird. And so. Uh, only because, you know, these are chosen professions. Right. And everybody recognizes the risk and consequences that exist along when you go along with these types of professions. And so, you know, I, do I appreciate people in uniform? Absolutely. Do I just want them to do the right thing and treat people fairly? Absolutely. So I don't I can't I can't speak on, on behalf of the police union and why they're so anti change. Uh, but it's not change isn't. Being anti-change is not unique to law enforcement. I mean, you know, I used to, I used to, I, I taught for two years in D.C. and a lot of people were not for change. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, and so changing, changing institutions is very difficult. It's not just policing. Right. Good. I would say it's a little weird. Um, it's a red flag all in itself when somebody wants to is inadamant towards the idea of change, not only change, but change that they know could benefit them. And I think that's simply because they just like the way that the system is broken, the way they like it. It's in their control. They like not having to change the way that it is because these text messages clearly showed you why they wouldn't want to change it. They like the, the, in my opinion, the cultish mentality of inflicting harm on other people. Legally. Getting away with it. Legally. So... You know, and it's not to speak for them. It's only assuming based on these text messages and based on how, I mean, change, in my opinion, is just growth. Why wouldn't they want to be for growth? Why wouldn't they want to know how they could do better, how their institution could do better so that people like me, black people, can look at police institutions a bit differently? Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I think you're you're probably onto something there. But I think I also believe that... um you know, everybody voted for Barack Obama because of change, and then he started changing things, and everybody lost their collective mind. Right now, there's a DA in in Alameda County. Everybody ch- voted for her for change. She hasn't even been in the office for a year, and everyone's losing their collective minds as she's starting to change things. And so, I think there's something peculiar about when people people generally, I believe, are like frustrated with government, and they don't think it moves as quickly as they want it to move. I think people get frustrated with when we as as political figures say things that are like, well, the process and the process and the process and things take time and things require money. And so people get tired of that. But 
so I do genuinely believe that there's a frustration overall with people that, you know, they want to see change. But when you really start making change, change doesn't feel the way it does when you actually talk about change and it feels optimistic and it feels like we're all on a, you know, we're all at the park having a great time. And change requires people to pound on a table, yell and scream and move institutions to do things that they normally don't do. And so it's been, I mean, it took us here in Antioch two years to get our crisis response team up and running so that police, we have a non-police response team here in the city now. Mm -hmm. We're the only one in our county to do so, one of the very few in the Bay Area to do so. We just opened a hotel to do transitional housing. Cities don't normally do that. You're in Elk Grove. The city of Elk Grove gives zero dollars, zero general fund money. Don't get me started on no doggone Elk Grove. But, go ahead. <laughs> but, but and it's not unique to Elk Grove. It's most cities don't do that. We're doing that. <laughs> but all that took like that took three years because the institution was so resistant to doing these things because they're not used to doing these things. And to your point, everybody's just comfortable with the way things are, including those who don't mind, you know, using their authority to take advantage of other people who are vulnerable in our community. Facts. Jalen. So my question to you, follow up question for Adrian, what does police reform look like to you? Well, today it looks a little different than when it did a few months ago, because I think police reform for me looked like You know, I, a few years, you know, in 2020, police reform probably looked like to me, you know, making tweaks here and there and trying to make people feel comfortable and everybody should have a relationship with their police department. Uh, to me, police reform now looks like we just need to eradicate racism from, from our institution. And if it means building, you know, uh, um, if it means building a new department, then that's what we have to do. Uh, so it can it can take many, many different forms. But I think I'm pretty set on the idea that we almost almost I'm not saying entirely, but we almost have to start from scratch. Mm. And interestingly enough, if we are able to remove some of these officers from our police department, we will almost be starting from scratch because we literally have all the elements that everybody was talking about in 2020. Uh, we have a, a non-police crisis response team in this city. We have that. We are housing individuals who are on our streets and we're no longer sending the police to go harass homeless people. And we did build a new department of public safety and community resources to expand the definition of public safety in our community, not to just mean that law enforcement response. And so we're doing some of the gang intervention programs. Uh, we're housing a lot of these new services that we're offering out, uh, out of this new department. So that's, so police reform is happening right before our eyes, even as, as, as all of this stuff just happened. Um, so we've been committed to that. And not once have I ever uttered the phrase defund the police. We're, we just, we're just prioritizing what I believe the community wants us to prioritize. Yeah. And, and so as I was reading, um, and I, I read a lot, um, I came across this so-called recall effort that they had put into place. And I see you're still there. So is that still a thing or are they still trying to get rid of you or how? And then you had some sort of uh, event that you were hosting where you just decided to roast yourself or open yourself up for a roast um, to be. So can you talk to us about that? What's going on with the recall efforts? Well, the recall fell flat on its face and it didn't go <laughs> very far. Um, they couldn't collect 
they, not only could they not collect close to nearly how many signatures they needed, you couldn't even get past 2000 signatures. So, so um, it was all, you know, and all in the name of the police department, this recall effort started all in the name of the police department. The previous chief had gone to Idaho and uh, there were rumblings going around that he was saying that he's leaving because of me and that he couldn't work with me. And that's all fine. Now we're very clear as to why he left. But that's why the recall started, because people were just upset about the reforms and they're upset about, uh, you know, their beloved police department being under the the, the leadership of, of me. And so um, but it didn't all, all it amounted to was the same old character assassination that they've been trying to do on me for a long time, which is they take limited facts and then try to paint me as the classic uh, deadbeat dad. Uh, I'll go as far as saying a rapist. Mm. Uh, I'll go as far as saying um, uh, a defund the police person. None of those things. And and I've never really uttered the phrase defund the police. So it's been interesting to watch them. But it's the same. I mean, they do this across the country. They do All this right. across the country. It's a formula for sure. Adrian. So during your time as mayor, there's been a lot of, seems like a lot of stuff has come up. Uh, I know just last year you said that you've been punched. Uh, you've been receiving death threats lately. So I just want to know, how are you able to stay motivated as a mayor and do what you still want to, what you want to do, knowing there's people who want to harm you for what you're doing? Yeah, and they set my fence on fire over here on the side of oh. my house. And, and so it's been interesting to watch all that. I need you to move. Oh, Jay, oh, I don't want you to move. <laughs> you're talking to me. You need me to yeah. move? Yeah, Jada yeah, said yeah, she yeah. wants you to move. She needs you safe. Oh, yeah. oh you, you need me to literally move. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, on the camera? So, no, it's been, uh, it's been absolutely crazy. Um, so, yeah, those things have happened. Uh, but I think the reality is, is they can do whatever the hell they want to do. It's not going to stop me from doing what I feel like I was placed in this role to do. Um, but I also have to be cognizant of the fact that at the end of the day, I still have to come home to a 13-year-old daughter. And that's mm -hmm. clearly very important. That's my priority. Um, but I also recognize that uh, I also recognize that I come from, a, you know, my parents who raised me immigrated here to this country. So they came here. And, um, and so, you know, for them, their, their lives have always been a struggle and a fight. And so, I mean, it, you know, you can try to do harm on me. I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm, do I get concerned? Yes. But at the end of the day, you still got to keep going, um, because there's a lot of work to do and all of that given to taken together. Listen, there. Like I said earlier, there are people who had dogs uh, used against them. There are people. There are women who were humiliated and made to look and dehumanized when they couldn't get in front. They couldn't get in from the front of the bus and were made to look like fools running to the back of the bus, and then the bus driver would take off. Mm -hmm. uh, there were, you know, I mean, I can go on and on, and we still here sit in the. I feel like I come from a place of where where. Uh, where, yeah, I can stand up to that man at that council meeting and say, you know, what I said. And, and, um, 
and still be alive to tell to talk about it. And there are people in this country and, and it's not like we're talking about generations ago. We're talking about our grandparents, our yeah. parents who lived through this stuff and, and they got to live to, to talk about it. And here we are benefiting from, uh, the shoulders that we stand on. And so, you know, they can try whatever they want. I'm still going to do what, what I feel I need to do. And so that brings up another part to that question for me. So the fact that you're saying basically you're going to stay put, you're going to stay where you are, you got a baby to come home to. Um, what type of security measures are you putting into place? Because I, I would assume you're not calling the police department. So do you have a, a private security? Do you need a private security? Do we need to find somebody? So, yeah, no. So now we do, you know, some, for some things I do use private security. And then for some events, I do have the have the chief, you know, have uh, uh, have uh, officers present. And then I I'll, I do have a bulletproof vest now. I never thought I'd say that, but I have a bulletproof vest uh, for certain events uh, that I that I need to go to. Uh, and like for the Fourth of July parade that's coming up, I'll probably have to have security for that. Because people are are uh, the amount of death threats that have come to City Hall out of this, and it's not, it's it's just it's, some people are just genuinely filled with hate, and they will stop at nothing uh, to ensure that hate persists in our in our communities and in our country. Mm. And so, uh, that's a lot to take in yeah, in terms of you you're having to wear bulletproof vest. No. Um, and the fact that, you know, you still have the police, send, I'm sorry, the chief send you out officers. Do you ever wonder if they would actually execute their duties uh, while they're there, if something were to happen? Or do you wonder or, or even does the thought cross your mind that sometimes you may be a sitting duck in term, you know, in some instances? Well, in some instances, I am a sitting duck and I'm not going to make any uh, pretend to uh, paint it a different way. Um, with the police department, I maybe at one point I did feel sometimes I just don't feel comfortable asking the police department for anything. When that gentleman hit me after I gave a speech at the Chamber of Commerce, the, you know, the 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 approach to the police department, it went from the chief telling me that we're about to go arrest this guy to uh, our police PIO going on TV saying, oh, it's a he said, he said, finger oh. pointing. And, you know, once wow. when the when when I saw some of the text messages, particularly the one that's directed at me, I realized, oh, they were just they're they're just, you know, they're just not for me. And so that, I mean, not that I I knew they were not for me, but, you know, if 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 I have an issue, you know, those are not necessarily the folks I can count on. So he punched you and he wasn't arrested. Right. Yeah. I'm wow. confused. I mean, I mean, wow. <laughs> well, some people describe it as a punch. Other people describe it as a hard shove. The dude just, you know, he went like that to me on my chest. It doesn't matter. <laughs> There's some people playing semantics. He hit me. <laughs> and he didn't get arrested. That's Had I hit him, I probably would have been arrested. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Um. So how how is your mental health? Yeah, that was... Like, how are you? How are you taking care of you? you know, knowing all of this stuff. And I, you know, I, I saw the interview you did with Al Sharpton. Um, he, he garners his own types of attention. Right. Um, so how are you dealing with your mental health and making sure you're okay? Well, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, think, I think, 
when you uh, listen, I was born in a prison. I mean, the worst thing that could have happened that could have happened to me outside of someone killing me has already happened to me. Uh, there is no greater uh, pain than not being raised by your own biological mother. So there's nothing anybody can do to me that's that's going to that that that'll ever surpass the amount of of uh, trauma or 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 uh, hurt that you have being born in a prison. What are you doing to take care of your mental health regardless of if you think you are fine or not fine? <laughs> Talk to him, Jada. What are you doing to maintain your I'm fine? Basically? Oh, Lord. Oh. Well, he was at the gym when I called earlier. Yeah, I, you know, I go to the gym. I go to the gym every day and I work out. And you'd be surprised for as skinny as I am how much I can lift. Come on. <laughs> okay. And I think it probably has to do as I'm thinking about all the crazies I deal with. I'm like, oh. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, so that is very that is very helpful. Uh, and, and then sometimes you just have to disconnect and uh, yeah. and uh, and just disconnect and put the phone down and just like this weekend. You know, my daughter got a scholarship. She's going to high school. She's going to be going to Cronulet. Uh -oh. So that means she promoted. Yes. Yes. And but so, we got something for y'all. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so those moments are, you know, as long as you're able to balance you know your personal life and and um and uh still enjoy those moments and kind of cut politics uh out of it that, you know that's that's always important okay. and then i do a lot of gardening so i you know that's okay uh -oh. i was looking at that picture behind your head with the avocado and it's a oh, the rooster, yes. Avocado, oh, that has yeah. avocado yeah. in there. It does. Some tomatoes and some, onions. Some lettuce. Or, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you a green thumb. Okay. Well, I wouldn't say uh, I'm not Mr. Fruits and Vegetables. I do have my little garden out there, but uh, I will say I have one of the nicest yards in the neighborhood. I do. Okay. Have one. Say that. Say that. So, so my question for you is, um, what is one policy or what is one thing that you want to happen or you want to see happen before you are uh, out of your office? You know, believe it or not, uh, and I don't mean to sound like Donald Trump, oh. so I, I'm going to say. He likes to brag about some of those ridiculous things, and then he'll add, he'll say, and you know, I'm not saying this to brag, but, and then he'll rattle off all of his, but I'm not saying this to brag, but we have actually accomplished a lot in the last three years that I've been the mayor. The fact that we we're able to open the mental health crisis, I mean, the crisis response team, we've cut the ribbon on that. We did rent control, and then we're also about to do uh, just cause eviction and uh, an anti-harassment policy for, for renters. Um, we also cut the ribbon for the new office or the new Department of Public Safety and Community Resources. We've got the Cal Grant, Cal VIP grant for community intervention programs for gun violence. Um, and we opened the hotel and I can go on and on about all the things that we're, we're, we're doing. We, we just we we are we just kicked off the mayor's apprenticeship program, uh, which is similar to um, the uh, the uh, the. Anyway, there's a similar program in Sacramento <laughs> that Mayor Steinberg had started a few years ago. Uh, it's it's kind of modeled after that. Uh, so we've done quite a bit of work in terms of, of uh, what I feel are accomplishments. The irony, of course, being is that none of those things were the things that I that I that I ran on myself. Mm. <laughs> I 
always feel like you get into these positions and then everything else starts to shape what direction you go in. And so I think we've done we've done good in terms of, of doing things that I feel like the community wanted us to do. And so have you have you received any support uh, from other mayors or any other elected officials um, based on the, the situation there in Antioch? Has anybody uh, that is elected come to support you? You know, I um, Congressman Garamendi, he was probably one of the first to, to come out and, and say, hey, we need to really take a deep dive here and look at what's going on in Antioch and really uh, defend me and, and really spoke uh -huh. against the threats and whatnot. So he, he was the first. And then slowly others started to kind of trickle in. Uh, but it was it was kind of like in slow motion. It was just it was bizarre to me. Uh, it was bizarre because you know, had this happened in any other part of the country, all these people would have been yelling and screaming and putting on their Twitter, oh, shame on the police department. And, you know, we stand with mayor so-and-so of this particular place. But here it just seemed very slow motion-like. But to most people have come out and supported my efforts and then, of course, called on the federal government to come in and do, um, do oversight of the police department. Um, and I was specifically talking about any of the black elected officials that we that are currently in office. Has anybody reached out to you to offer support? Well, in terms of black, oh, uh, Lori Wilson from Shout out uh, to Lori Wilson. That's my dog. Yeah, that's a dog. We love her. Okay. Yes, so Lori <laughs> Wilson. Yes, yes, and she she had re she was she had she was a little late. But not because of not by choice. She had, uh, I believe, she had a procedure done, mm -hmm. and so eventually we ended up talking. Uh, but in terms of other black elected officials, I'm not sure I can uh, point to any at this point. Huh? Oh, the mayor of Pittsburgh, Chanel. <laughs> okay, okay, Chanel. I don't. I haven't met that that particular mayor. But so we we haven't heard from say London Breed. Or we haven't heard from former mayor Mike Tubbs. We haven't heard from the current mayor of Stockton. So I know that there's a black mayor's little group that they, that they have. And so none of those jokers reached out to you. Well, no, I think well, London Breed did when um when and we you know we meet, so we have a working uh -huh. relationship. Uh huh. Uh, but. Uh, on this one, I'm not sure I did hear from London Breed. I did hear when I when the dude hit me, <laughs> she did reach out, but that was about that was about it. Um, so no, I haven't heard from the from anybody. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> um, and so, what what is your support system like around, that's around you more often? What does that look like? Like who's supporting you? Who's making sure you're good? Um, that your baby is good when you're you have work obligations like what is your support system around home yeah um you know we i have friends that you know i can count on and you okay know, good yeah you know i'm just so i'll say that um no, we either well, I do have friends that that you know, but at the at the same time, you know, it's it, 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 eagles fly alone. Sometimes you're just on your own and you got to figure this right. stuff out. 
And uh, for some people, this is so, um, this is so, some people don't know what to do. Uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. And so I think for a lot of people, it's easier not to do anything. And that's generally politics. It's easier not to do anything than to do something. And when, when I do encounter people, it's reaching out. It's always like, oh, my God, how are you dealing with this? Uh, and, and, you know, I generally always have a smile and laugh things off. And, uh, and the reason it's a mechanism. I don't know if it's, a, but it's, that's, you know, I just, I'm just happy to be alive. And so I think people just okay. I mean, often take for granted the fact that we're even alive. And I'm every day I wake up, I'm delighted to be alive. I'm delighted to do the things that I'm doing. And so when I hear people react the way they do, I, to, it tells me that they would not be prepared to deal with some of the things that I've had to deal with here in Antioch. Hmm. I just find it interesting because, you know, if we look at history, right, and we look at Black men who were in positions of influence. I'll say it like that because Medgar Evers, I don't believe he was an elected official, right? But you see the same type of tactics being used over and over again, whether that's a Molotov cocktail being thrown in the house, whether that's a cross burning in the front yard, you talking about your damn fence was set on fire. Um, you have the same type of um, tactics being used, but there's not been a lot of accountability for those folks who are perpetuating uh, these types of things. And so I'm looking in the chat, right? Um, because I'm not going to stay on there too long, but I'm looking in the chat and it says, um, what's next for you? What, what, are, what, what's next? Well, I'm not well, running for governor. governor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But what's next? Not governor, but do you have any steps? Are you, I mean, what are your terms? Four years? Our terms are four years. Yeah. Every four years we had to run for re-election. So um, in the times that I've run in one political office, it's because somebody pissed me off and. and oh, you mad now. <laughs> so yeah, when I ran for city council, I used to be on this Antioch Economic Development Commission and I, you know, I quickly pissed everybody off because they threw me off of that <laughs> like oh, two okay. years later. <laughs> but but then I ran against the people who threw me off and I was the top vote getter and I got elected to the city council. And then um, the previous mayor, he just made a series of missteps that were that were just were silly because you had all of the public support on your side, particularly since it was 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, George Floyd happened. The, the nation was was in was in revolt. The world was in revolt around police injustices. And he couldn't even bring himself to do basic things like speak up, speak for police reform and whatnot. And so uh, I was just like, you dude, you're out of touch and you got to go. And so that personally made me upset because I'm like, I'm a, I'm a black man and I'm part of the impacted community and you can't even do that. Yeah. And so so he had to go. And so, um, so, you know, I, I'm fine doing the job that I'm doing right now. It's a lot of work. It's not a lot of pay, but it's, it's, it is, it is a lot of work and a lot of fulfilling work. And so I'm enjoying being the mayor of Antioch. Okay. So you, you going to go for another term because people are pissing you off or you, they might piss you off to the point you want to run for governor, which is it? <laughs> 
I don't know. I think, you know, right now I'm, I'm right here doing, there is so much to do right at this very moment. I, I don't know how I, there would be no way for me to think about running for anything else because look at what we're in the middle of. And so somebody has to make sure that none of this is swept under the rug. And that's one of the things I've made clear to the chief of police is that we're not brushing this under the rug. We have to focus on making sure we can, we, we bring this to light and hold those accountable who need to be held accountable. Adrian. Uh, yeah, so I know we kind of talked about future, but I wanted to bring it back to the past for a bit. I just wanted to ask about your time in the Navy, because I, I read in the article that was where you learned to read and write. So I wanted to just hear your experience on that and how that shaped you to who you are now. Well, you know, I absolutely, for as militant as that may sound, <laughs> not, uh, I I absolutely love America, and when I say that, I like I like I love this country, and I've got you know I've gotten to go overseas, and I've gotten to see. It doesn't mean that I think we're the perfect nation. I don't believe. I think everybody you know wherever you live is where you live. Mm -hmm. uh, but I absolutely love our country, and when I was overseas, I I I was embarrassed when I was in East Timor and I was there to do a, uh, a project, we were there to help rebuild the school. And this is when East Timor had gained its independence from Indonesia. And there's still guerrilla fighting going on. And so, uh, I shouldn't call it guerrilla fighting. I should, uh, there are still, uh, I forget what the term is. Anyway, there was still fighting going on between Indonesia and separatists and all these different uh, groups. And so we had gone to a school that had its the roof blown off and part of the building was blown away. And so we were there every single day to help rebuild the school and, and, and whatnot. And what was interesting is that every single day at like 7 a.m., all of these little kids from these different villages would show up to the school ready to learn, ready to learn to read and write, do arithmetic, whatever, every single day. And, and I thought it was so... Uh, hypocritical of me uh, to be representing the United States of America in this uniform. Uh, it was hypocritical of me uh, to have gone through public schooling and graduating high school not knowing how to read and write. And here I was in this country that was in the middle of chaos. And these kids, whether there were bullets flying or bombs exploding, were showing up to school ready to learn. And so, you know, that's kind of where I made the conscious decision. I have to teach myself how to read and write. People didn't, people didn't know. And, and I went out of my way to do things to make sure people didn't understand that I couldn't read and write. Uh, and, and it went as far as like belittling other people to make them, to make me look smarter than they were. And so it's not, there are parts of it that I'm not very proud of, but it's the truth and that's what happened. Um, but eventually there is, there are these programs that they had at the Navy college. It's not a real college or university, but they have like basic skills programs that you could, uh, do, do, do online. And so I would literally go on there and, you know, pass the little exams and get my little certificate with the little frog on it. And, <laughs> and it was very basic things like how to, you know, basic sentence structure and, and things like, like where to put a comma. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that's how I, I would sneak away and I would tell my friends that I was like studying <laughs> to take the SAT. <laughs> I even had an SAT book. I had an SAT book because I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to college one day. I'm going to no college. I was just going to this Navy college to figure out how to read and write. <laughs> so was so seeing the kids was your motivation to learn to read and write? Is that what you just said? 
it wasn't just seeing the kids. It was reflecting on the fact that I represented America and there was just no way that I could not read and write. There's just there, there can't, there can't be any excuse for people not being able to read and write coming from our country, even though there are, and even though there are structural barriers and I get all that, but, uh, uh there's just, yeah, there's, I felt like there was a lot of, uh, hypocrisy in that. Mm. I almost said something smart because half the people in Congress, I don't think they can read and write, but that's my opinion. Um, <laughs> so when we're when we're looking at um, the things that are coming across uh, the news, um, what what do you want people to take away when they see this story and they hear about you and your interactions um, with the public or they try to, you know, kind of. Uh, describe you based on what they're seeing what do you want people to know about you and what do they you want them to take away from uh, any of the interactions that may be uh, traveling in cyberspace well you know the who was i i forget where i showed this but i said you know this isn't um Whatever it is you see and you take away is what you see and you take away. And what I can tell you is that I was upset in that moment and it wasn't by upset by just me, myself and I, it was the, the upsetting nature of what I represent, which is one of the most racially diversities in, in the Bay Area. Uh, and so people will, people will um, come up with their own interpretation. I'm not, I'm not here to explain away anything um what people want to think of me is whatever they want to think of me it doesn't change who i am because mm -hmm. at the end of the day i know who i am and my actions will speak louder than other people's words yeah i just wanted to to after watching that uh initial clip i just wanted to applaud you you know like because like we said earlier as a black man um when we get passionate it can be seen as aggressive but I, I really wanted to applaud you. Just, you know, you, you're seeing something that really affects you and affects your community. And you're really just trying to speak out and get change. And I know a lot of people hate that because a lot, we already talked about it. A lot of people don't like change, but I just want to applaud you for the change that you are making. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I will say this, that the setting, you really have to watch the whole meeting to understand that whole clip. The setting, there were people there who hate me, mm -hmm. apologizing for what they saw, apologizing and acknowledging mayor, you know, I want to apologize because now I understand why you're for police reform. Now I understand these different things and I'm really just disgusted at what I'm seeing. So it was really a moment for the community to come together and talk about something bad that was happening. And everybody in their right mind was like on the same page in that moment. And then here comes this guy who literally poops on everybody's experience. He literally just poops on everybody's experience, starts talking all this nonsense about let's look at your text, let's do this, and we need to launch an investigate, minimizing everybody's experience based on how these text messages made them feel. Mm -hmm. And that to me was the ultimate form of white privilege. Mm. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah. I mean, just to come into a room and say, all of you, all of you who are saying these things, screw you, 
And my my opinion matters the most. And so here you all have to sit here and listen to this. And so I really just want everybody, it wasn't that I was angry, is I was not going to allow this a-hole to sit there and minimize other people's experiences. People yes. who are being vulnerable in the moment for that woman to come, there is a white woman by the name of Melissa Case to come and share her experience with me after we, we can barely look at each other. Mm -hmm. And to, for her to share that publicly the way she did mm -hmm. and for him to just come in and just poop on all that. Mm -hmm. No, I wasn't going to allow, it was not me being angry. It was me saying, I'm not going to allow you to do this to people. And honestly, I applaud you for that because I know just looking at certain school board meetings that happen within my area, a lot of the people just kind of sit there and they stare at you, no matter how emotional the person on the other mic speaking to you may get, they'll just sit there and they'll stare at you. They'll be like, yeah, I hear you. And then they'll be like, okay, next. As if nobody, like, as if the stuff that <laughs> yeah. they said didn't touch them at all. It's just like right. you're speaking to a brick wall. And so I applaud you because it, you genuinely showed how much you care. And it wasn't just about how you felt, but you were trying to defend the others that came and spoke before said person who decided to come and poop on everybody else. Yeah. Did you have anything to share? Uh, I think Jada said it all. Uh, when I first heard what he said, I, I thought your reaction was, was warranted. I seen people in the comments, you know, they're going to say what they're going to say saying, you know, aggressive, out of character, out of body, not the right place, wrong time, all that. Um, yeah, all by the people who have never been a mayor or elected to anything. Right. Look, and what I would say is, first of all, you have a right to be angry if you're angry. You have a right to say what it is you you are feeling in that moment. You know why? Because you're a human being. Nobody is nobody should expect you to sit as a statue and allow vitriol to go forth and not check it. Um, I I just think that is an unfair expectation, um, and I think that folks need to be a little bit uh, less willing to talk about what they don't know and to try to find the context in which things were said. Um, I think you have a right to be angry. I'd be angry too. Um, and I'm okay with being angry. It is not unprofessional to be angry. It is not uh, out of body. It is not uh, anything out of character to feel something when you feel it. And I just think that too many times, and, and what I heard on the video was were people continuing to say your name over and over again um, to try to get you to calm down. Sometimes we don't want to calm down. Sometimes we just want to be pissed off. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe it's just me. Sometimes I'll go to these school board meetings and I just want to be pissed off. That's it. <laughs> don't call my name. Don't say, you know, calm down. Don't nobody need to do none of that because I was calm before I got there until I heard what I heard. Right. Don't do nothing but get you more around. No, that pisses me off. Don't tell me because to it's calm like, down. did you not just hear what he just said to me? Y'all are telling me to calm down right now. I don't see none of y'all checking him. Yeah, like out of everybody, I'm everybody. the one. So, it is never a wrong moment to stand up to hatred and discrimination and racism. So I don't even want to hear, oh, it was just wrong moment, wrong moment. Was I supposed to tell him after the meeting was over? 
Like, <laughs> yeah, nah, well, you want to go outside? Let's go outside. Me. What you want to do? Nah, though, I do want to point out, he said that to me. I <laughs> only you said it, baby. He said, he kept saying, let's go outside. Let's go outside. And that's why I got up and I said, you want to go outside? Let's go right here, right now. He wasn't got, about that life. Cause you he wasn't talking about nothing. You got to let him know. If, you, if they're going to disrespect you in public, in public is where you handle it. <laughs> I live I live by a very simple philosophy. And actually, I should have said this at the beginning. I live by a very simple philosophy. If you say something crazy to me, I'm going to say something crazy right back. And That's how that energy. You know, ruffled a little. I know that I have ruffled a lot of people's feathers as a result of that. But I just... I don't go to sleep stressed out. I hmm. need to have a clear mind. And if if you say something crazy to me, you better believe I'm going to say something crazy right back. And okay. and that's just the way it's always. So we're going into the right now. <laughs> well, well, that's just matching that energy. Uh, you know, you decide how we going to act. <laughs> you say something, I'm going to say something. Um, knock if you buck, right? <laughs> we just what we what we doing? What we doing? Uh, we want to thank you for taking some time out mm -hmm. today and shout out to Micah in the comments. What's shout up? Out Micah, man. Um, <laughs> but we want to thank you for taking time to even talk to us about this. I know that you've been probably hounded with interview requests and just thinking about, you know, our little old podcast where we just talk to <laughs> folks uh, and we, we just want to give folks space to kind of learn about other things that are going on around us. Um, and how can how can we support you? What can what can we do to support you here? Because uh, now you've just gained an extended family and we like to pull up. So how can we support you? No, don't say that now. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead up, serious. Nah, we pull up on I'm folks. dead serious. <laughs> oh, no, I just think keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. I, as I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, we should have this in Antioch. We need to, we need Hello. To Oh, we teach. We teach kids. We teach. We teach advocacy. We teach uh, public speaking. We teach all of that. So we would love to come and sit with your young people for sure, for sure. Just invite us out. And I'm serious. We'll pull up. <laughs> sure. Come on down, then. Come on down. All we need is an invitation, Mayor Thorpe. All we need is an invitation. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for uh, joining. We want to make sure that you are aware that we do have Celebration Weekend coming up. Uh, it is June 23rd through the 25th. We are um, doing our soiree on Friday, our family fun day on Saturday at Elk Grove Regional Park. And we have a black graduation uh, for promoters and graduates. So oh. you want to bring baby girl, we would love to host you here right here in the city of Elk Grove. I can't <laughs> promise that the mayor will be there. Uh, she slid through last year, but she still owe me a check. So I don't know if she's going to be there this year. Um, I am hoping that they make good on it. Um, and that they do what they're supposed to do. So with that, y'all, we're going to hit you with the wave. We'll catch you next week right here on Facebook and YouTube, 4.30 PST. We are Black versus the Board of Education. Jada, hit it. Uh, 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 yeah. We'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, mood, baby. <laughs> yeah.